Hey everybody, welcome back to the Rockcast. We are broadcasting live here in the beautiful metropolis of Rock Springs, Wyoming. <laughs> On a snowy day, a snowy night, we are at Mule Deer Days here in the, what's this place called, Travis? It's the Rock Springs Complex. Rock Springs Complex. I think that's what's called. Yeah, Sweetwater. Sweetwater, Sweetwater Complex. Complex. Yeah, yeah. so... Um, and by the way, that is Travis Hobbs you hear on the other mic. We call him not really born a hunter on Instagram. It might be natural born hunter, but it looks like not Something really born a hunter. That. So that's what I'm going to roll with. Him and I came down today. This is uh, a new event. It just started this year. It's called Mule Deer Days, and it's put on in partnership with Muley Fanatic Foundation. Travis, tell us about Muley Fanatic Foundation. So Muley Fanatic Foundation um, kind of a, just a different organization spun off um i think uh some of the leadership was part of the mule deer foundation they kind of spun off and they're kind of doing some well they started off in wyoming and now i think let's see they're in idaho colorado utah now and they're kind of growing but it's a cool organization and kind of some of the things they're doing and funding um with uh wyoming game and fish and some of these study projects some of these collared um studies it's very interesting data coming out of this stuff it's so they're funding on the ground research yes you know what i learned today walking around just a little bit about them is i'm i'm a big mule deer foundation supporter and now I'm going to support them, and I'm going to support the Muley Fanatic Foundation because Mule Deer need our help, right? Yes, and I and I think um, like not to pick on any organization because they they all do good, but I think what's important is some of the different organizations focus in different arenas as far as the Mule Deer. Like some of them will focus um, like Mule Deer Foundation is very big on habitat. They've kind of made that their uh, like very big on habitat and like. One thing I've kind of noticed, and I can't say this, like this is all they do, but like they're really, Muley Fanatic is really focusing on on-the-ground um, like research projects, especially with the Monteith shop. Yeah, and we're going to talk about that in more. just a minute. So, so. Very cool. University of Wyoming. And then they're doing some other stuff in different places too, so it's a very cool organization. Kind of a new up-and-coming organization. I highly recommend everybody at least join up, get involved with some of these sportsman groups because there's some really cool things happening. And information that's like, literally changing the game as far as mule deer management. We're going to talk about that in yes. just a minute, some of those seminars we went to today. And if you're not ready to join them yet, just at least go look them up on Instagram. It's Muley Fanatic Foundation. Muley Fanatic Foundation, not Fanatics. Uh, there's one of those on there too. Muley Fanatic Foundation. Give them a follow. See, see more about what they're about. Uh, they partnered with, um, among, among other organizations, we're certainly going to forget, uh, the Monteith shop. So Monteith, some of you Muley fanatic people out there should recognize that name. Kevin Monteith. He is a doctor out of University of Wyoming. Mm-hmm. I don't. I may not have all the affiliations exactly correct, but um, I see. I see him um, uh, working out of there. I don't know if he works for them or not. Um, but he uh, he has founded what's called the Monteith Shop. Okay. Now yes. this isn't a place where you buy T-shirts. This is. Uh, they wanted to call it the shop rather than a lab. And it's it's him, and he's directing uh, a crew of graduate students that are conducting some of this research that Travis yes. is talking yep. about, like the uh, the buck collar project that's going on in the Wyoming range. They've got like 50 to 70 bucks collared. I think I got those numbers right. They're one of the only states that have a significant number of bucks collared. Yes, very interesting in some of the data. Yeah, because a lot of states have kind of focused on... uh 
on does, fawns. Yeah, and they're, they're doing a bunch of stuff with both does, well, with does, fawns, and bucks, which is super cool and seeing some really interesting data coming out of that. And hopefully, Robbie, you can get him on the podcast because I, I think so. he's one of the smartest guys um, there is on mule deer and super fascinating information. Um, he's got a lot of we'll dive into some of that yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. And, and he's totally qualified. And, and when I said doctor, don't get some uh, some guy with uh, rimmed glasses and, you know, gray hair in mind. No, this dude showed up at his seminar today with mud on his pants. That's awesome. He's got a wool sweater on. He, he looks kind of haggard. He had been out collaring mule deer today. Yes, so, I think that's what he said. Yeah, yeah he's, a, he's, he's the kind of doctor us, us mule deer hunters yes, like. He's a doctor cool. of mule deer. So um, they, they partnered together, and I think the Wyoming Game and Fish yeah, is Wyoming here. Yeah, Wyoming Game and Fish is here, and they're, I think, a uh, big supporters of this and like they're trying to do some we, we actually were just talking to uh, one of their public outreach um ladies i guess that um and she was kind of talking about they're trying to get a little more out in the public and try to uh, i think just get more public involvement and involve sportsmen which i think is such a good thing i think anytime these game and fish agencies are involving the public and trying to educate people and go over some of this stuff it's very important i think it's very important hunters get more involved and understand what's going on especially locally throughout the west wherever they're interested in hunting i think it's very important yeah they can't just have one contentious sportsman's meeting a year yes. and expect to get mojo with the public right yes. we yeah. know that yeah so so it was good to see them here so there's i'm sure there's lots of other supporters here but this is their first year and um honestly it's lightly attended a lot of people don't know about it that's yeah, why quite, we want to support vendors it too yeah there's care. a lot of vendors folks Scope is here. Kuyu's out there. Kuyu's out here. Um, uh, I saw the bar. Travis been at the bar a couple times. We're supporting <laughs> them too. Um, uh, uh, let's see who else did we see here. Um, we, we they got a little card. Kennetrek boots. Kennetrek's here. here. Yeah. You have a little card where you go around and they punch your card, and then at the end of the day, you go into a drawing for a great big uh, bunch of Vortex stuff. So so right now, think of it like um, uh, an expo in Salt Lake, and it's about 5% of the size of the expo. So it's got a real homey feel, like you see cool. a lot of the same people and everything. But that's partly why I wanted to do this podcast today, to get more support for this. They want this to be an annual event. Yes. And, man, just think how hard it is to like get a hold of a biologist and talk to them. And yet these researchers are here talking to people, putting on seminars. So, I mean, yeah, and between seminars we're able to go up to their booth yes. and i mean we sat and asked more questions and kind of dove into some of this stuff and they're just super open what's really cool about it being so small and kind of like this is after they would do the seminar i mean they opened up for discussion and i mean there was lots of great questions asked um it was very cool travis uh, and i had the most questions yeah definitely because <laughs> <laughs> we like big cool. deer and that and that's the other reason too why do i even care about this kind of stuff right because i love big mule deer and if you want to be successful at hunting big mule deer you got to understand how the whole population yes. fl- fluctuate or uh, um, operates whoa we just got a power flash here hopefully the podcast equipment oh it's all on battery um you you, you have to understand how the whole herd functions not yep. just the big bucks in fact the big bucks are kind of the final product yes. of, of a healthy herd and, and travis i know you've been involved with mule deer conservation since you were sounds like you were in high school yes. dude. i heard you talking today about being involved with stuff in 2001, in 2001. dude you were yeah, not very far out of diapers yep. by then so sure. <laughs> you agreed to that okay great <laughs> i got him on that one but uh but anyways um if you want to be successful at hunting big mule deer you, you got to do this stuff and plus it's it's really interesting and it's a great way to support the species that we love. So, out of those three seminars that we went today, Travis, uh, that first one was called uh, "Do Coyotes Snatch Deer When Rabbits Disappear?" 
This was by uh, Mitch Burnett. He's a research student. He did, he did a four-year study on it. Where did this study occur? So it happened right in the tri-state region of Colorado, Utah, and Wyoming. Okay, and so what 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 the what they were looking at is there's there's a rumor in uh, amongst the mule deer crowd that when the rabbit population gets low, coyotes get hungry, so they go after mule deer. Okay, so he did a study on that to see if indeed they could make that correlation. And my takeaway from that was that when the rabbit population was low, and he had a graph up there of like 20 years of, of, of rabbit population, and this is primarily cottontails in that area, that when the rabbit population would crash, um, and they had, they had 39 collared coyotes in the area, yep. and they watched those coyotes closely to see if those coyotes dispersed into prime fawning habitat. Like they had fish. so many fawns um, collared as well. Collared as yeah, well. So significant. Kind of doing, Let's just say 50, yes, something, yep, like, something that. like that. Yep. So they were able to tra- track the mortality on the fawns when the rabbit population was high and when the rabbit population was low. Now, if I go to the coffee shop, the guys at the coffee shop are going to tell me, yeah, when the rabbit population is low, all those coyotes are starving and they go eat those deer. That's not what he found in his study. Now, he didn't say that never happens, but he said that is not what he saw the coyotes do. When the, when the, when the rabbit population got low, the coyotes didn't disperse into prime fawning habitat. They preyed on other species because they eat more than just deer and rabbits. Right? They eat you know, voles and mice, and, and they scavenge and things like that. That was my takeaway from it. What was your takeaway, Travis? It was very similar, Robbie. I think um, the interesting thing about, I think... Uh, when I walked into that seminar, I kind of had it in my head. Like I was like, Oh, I already know what like the results are going to be of this. And it was kind of interesting that the data really didn't show that one thing that was, um, I always go back to predation and I always look at these studies and it's very interesting. What I really took away from that was how bad the predation was it Still was in that unit. What um, was it? I think it was, it was, it was 77% of those fawns were dead at six months at six months old. I've seen some other studies that are very similar. Um, on like in the Utah side, like shows kind of data like that. It's very interesting. And I think over half, I think a 50% of that 77%, if this, that makes sense. Yes. That's what he was said. predation, predation, which and was a, coyotes and mountain lions yes. primarily. Yep. So there was still a lot of predation there uh, that just naturally occurs independent of the rabbit population. So everybody give us a little break on this stuff too. Travis and I are not like, tape recorders you know yeah. and so we're, we're we're taking this information in we literally yes yeah, that in the tra- seminar and we're just talking about yeah it, so. we're just talking about it. so if we don't have every single little detail right that's okay because you need to be learning this stuff uh yourself and so you could look this, these guys up they have an instagram page it's called monteith m-o-n-t-i-e-t-h shop yeah, look them up not, follow them yeah yeah, and they, they post this stuff on there. Okay, it's epic the way that they uh, go through the data. They, like it's a, a great follow, very interesting. One of my favorite posts that they've had as of recently, just thinking out loud, is, and we'll maybe get into this, but they had a a buck that looked like to me like uh, imagine a year and a half old two point, like a yep. small buck. He ended up being, I think it was four and a half years, three and a half, old, or three and, three and, a, half and a half years old. Yeah, and he looked this like a little like dink. He looked like a yearling. Um, 
very interesting. And that buck, we'll, we'll maybe get into that, but that buck was actually born on the 16th, in the spring of 17, which would have been after the brutal 16, 17 winter. That kind of ties back into maybe some of the things we'll talk about that Kevin went over. And his thing is like the condition of a mom. Yep is so vitally yep. important we've always hear everybody throws out genetics well there's some studies been done that like honestly almost crush that whole genetic yes. thing that it's more based off nutrition and the health of that mom health it's of very the mother interesting yep if you go to the farm the yep. farmer will tell you that's a runt pig yep and and and, and they're never going to catch up and they never do and and that's and so the second seminar Travis kind of gave the prelude to was it's called Fat Bottom Moms Make the Deer World Go Round. And that is so funny. That's an old <laughs> Queen song. And I just went to a Queen tribute uh, concert last night, and they sang that song, Fat Bottom Girls Make the World Go Round. But anyways, so that was the name of the seminar, and that, uh, that, that's, that, that, that's uh, Mr. Monteith himself, the doctor yes. himself. And, and that's what he was demonstrating, just what Travis said, is it's the health of the mom is the great equalizer. If she's in poor health and, and she comes out of the, the winter of sixteen seventeen in poor health, her fawn is not going to do as well. And he never catches up. He never catches yep. up. And, uh, and, and and so the genetics can be there. In fact, that, that buck yeah. was on the Wyoming range, some of the best genetics around. But the habitat couldn't make up for it because of the health of the mom was poor. And um, my takeaway from that whole thing was, his research started in, in eastern South Dakota. And so kept- it was South Dakota in general, both. Um, so on the eastern plains of South Dakota is ag land. And they farmland. Yes, farmland. Yeah. And they were documenting that deer on the east end of South Dakota, I, if I remember right, does weighed 150 pounds. Yep, 50 pounds and, more than the and western the Black side. Hills... They had does weighed 100 pounds. So what they did is they went and gathered fawns at one day old from both places. So one day old fawns. And I, they had quite a number. I don't remember what he said. It was significant. It was a great I can't remember. Size. It was statistically significant. But they bring them back to somewhere in central in a, in a high fence, like a controlled environment, and they pump them full of the exact nutrition. So the eastern... Plains deer and the Black Hills fawns all caught at day one were pumped the same nutrition and like and the nutrition was designed to mimic the deer diet from eastern South Dakota. Yeah, just a maximum. It was basically maximum nutrition diet is right. what they were trying to shooting for, and the deer that come out of the Black Hills, the Black Hills, I think as they grew, they were like I think fifty they inches were, Boone and Crockett smaller yeah 30 to 50 it was again we don't have the exact number but they were quite a bit smaller even with that superior diet and antler size what's very interesting about this study what's crazy is so they took these same deer that were pumped all this nutrition so they had does there too they literally bred them again and in one year so so think about they gathered fawns from the western end of South Dakota and the Black Hills that were basically start like they weren't in great shape. They're they grow up and then they in this environment, this enclosed environment, and they have they basically I guess what I'm saying is they had fawns again from that For a second generation. Yeah, second they let generation. Them breed and have another yes. generation of fawns. And those fawns, like 
in one cycle, they mimicked the Eastern Plains deer. Yep, yep. they caught up because their moms were were healthy. Have, were healthy. They had superior nutrition, even though their moms came from the Black Hills. Yes. So it, it what it did is it threw genetics out of the equation. Because yes, genetics. Yeah, were it was up. the nutrition, and and so we talked about that a little bit in, in there. That you know, you look at. This isn't true everywhere, but most places Boone and Crockett bucks are coming from. Superior habitat. Yes. Superior habitat. Superior habitat produces heavy does, and then they're more likely to have better bucks. Now, superior habitat can have bad winters, droughts. And those things go up and down, too. That's why, you know, some years you, you just don't have them. But fascinating stuff. Just fascinating cool. stuff. And I like just kind of how he ended it that for all these decades, we've just paid attention to buck health. You know, it's all bucks, bucks, bucks. And he said, no, we need we need to pay more attention to doe health. I think somebody asked, well, how do we do that? And he said, habitat. You know, take, take good care of the habitat as best as we can. Invest mm-hmm. in habitat. Um, <laughs> pray for rain. Yes. You know, the, the, old, the old adage, pray for rain, but because that's what makes good habitat. Um, the, other, the other one we went to, it was uh, uh, similarly related. Harsh winters and population crashes of mule deer by Taylor Lashar. She's also with the Monteith shop. She She's a researcher. Awesome. Yeah, she was really good. Yes. And um, so she has been tracking uh, these uh, these collared mule deer, does and bucks in the Wyoming range. Uh, the project started in 2013. I didn't catch whether she's been there since 2013. Yeah, I didn't either. But but she's had the data from 2013. It's yeah. now 2023, so she's going 10-plus years of data. And um, she had a chart up there that tracked the body fat of the does, kind of the same subject as, as, as Kevin, and... Prior to the 17 winter, which Travis and I will both agree, living in the tri-state area, hunting all three states, Idaho, Colorado, uh, Wyoming, well, I guess four Utah. states, and Utah, um, that 16 was the peak. Yes. You know, 15, 16, that's when we saw that, 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 that deer herd peak. Well, those does actually in 16 with that big deer population, and we had drought conditions. Remember how stinking hot mm-hmm. 16 was? Um, they were in bad shape going into the winter, and they had, they had some of the lowest body fat that they had recorded during the study. And then a hard winter, and boom, they were in terrible shape in, in 17. We lost a you know, significant number of adult deer, does, and bucks. And then um, we had kind of a rebound in 17, 18, because the habitat was in good shape. Everything was wet. Um, 18, they, they were doing pretty good. And then we had another hard winter. Yep, 18, yeah, early spring 19 was terrible. Yes. It, it, January, February, there was, it just would not let up. It's like this year. Yep. And um, and so then then, then those does um, had and this is where I'm getting a little foggy. Those does experienced higher mortality, but not as high as they did in 16, because the deer herd was smaller. Yes. And this is this was my takeaway, and I've, and I've talked about this before on other podcasts. Big deer herds are not always healthy deer herds. That's where we have to be real careful as hunters, saying, hey, don't ever shoot the does. Have maximum deer herd. No, because maximum deer herd could be maximum um, uh, stress on the habitat. They're not putting weight on. And so in 19, we lost more adults. But what they found in, the, in those years of when the hard winter comes, those uh, the next year, the does can put on 40% more weight than the, 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 the years that are just mild winters yes. when you when you would think that they were doing fine. They're not actually doing fine. So I may not explain that totally right, but it still gets down I to think so. healthy dose. Yeah, and fat content. That's fat like content. such an important factor. Um, so dose going in to winter, 
fat. Like it's been a, I, I, and we brought this up. It's been a kind of an old adage that I've heard throughout the mule deer. Like winter range is always this limiting factor that everybody talks about. Well, I think as kind of diving into this stuff, that might not be as big as factor as some of the, like a fat doe going into winter in great shape statistically according to her statistics has a way higher chance of surviving yep. and having healthy fawns and everything else as, as it goes on so it's very important i think in 16 17 did she say that the fat content on the wyoming range was around 10 percent? it was low whatever she said it was, it was too low. low she likes to see it 12 lower than it is to 15 percent 12 to 15 percent somewhere in there is mm-hmm. where the magic happens and they were below that yes and travis just reached out to another biologist because he stays in touch with a lot of these guys too right before we came on yeah. the podcast so um randy larson well, we were just uh, we were talking and hopefully we'll get him on the podcast robbie i think he'd be a good one but um he's with uh, byu um and they do a lot of research like you know in utah and an interesting fact so if there's if there's i want to kind of talk about the winter range in but general. before we do what were the body fat percentages oh, yeah. he just gave you so in let, let me yeah, pull that up. Down. So, so sixteen, seventeen. Those Wyoming range uh, uh, does were at a low body fat, and they experienced high mortality. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, it, let's just say it was ten percent or less, or something like that. What did he? What did so he say? in so in December of two thousand sixteen? So that's pre winter captures say, in the Cash Unit in yeah. northern Utah. Northern that's like Utah. Far it's north only north like right thirty on miles away from these same Wyoming, deer. Yes, but they're but it's a different deer herd. Yes. And so what, in December of two thousand. 2016, the average um, percentage of fat was at 9.59. So very similar to what what they had in the Wyoming yes. range with, with, with what Taylor said. Yep. Okay. But then um, in uh, when their survivability uh, went up, which I think was in 2018, because they had had the, the all the all the nutrition of 17, the hard the, the, the hard winter produced great habitat, and then they had a higher survivability rate in 2018. And she said they were like in the 12 to 15 percent body fat range. That's where she likes to see them going into the winter, 12 to 15 percent in December. And then it's it, it's not that it doesn't matter what the winter does; it still does. Yes. But they can handle more. Yes. They can handle more. What did he have? going into this that winter. same winter. This, uh, or, the, so to 2018? Yeah. And it was 10.32%. So they didn't regain. That was what I wanted to point yeah. out right there. So that deer herd, 30 miles, what, west of the Wyoming range, they didn't put on the, the fat that the deer in the Wyoming range did. And that's why it's important to know your deer herds because yes, they're not all the same. So, you yes. can't just say what's happening in the back 40s happening three mountain ranges over. And I'll throw this one at you. So December of 2019, after that wet, if you remember that, it was a wet 2019, spring. 2019, yep. December, yeah, because we had that. We had yeah. we had winter kill that yeah. spring because yep. we had all the and water. So December, yep. two, so it jumped all the way up to 13.7. There you go. And, and that's, so that's what we're talking about, people. In the cash. In the cash, right, which is not as doesn't seem to be usually as productive as the Wyoming range. But that's 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 what the takeaway on all this stuff is, is that you got to have fat, healthy does. Yep. And every, every deer herd may not be responding to the habitat the same way. And if there's one shining light about all this they this year on the wyoming range in december i think their deer they were like at 14 they were high whatever it was it was up there where she likes to see it and so that 
so basically if they would have went into winter the same condition as they were in 2016-17 this would be catastrophic a catastrophic winter yes now this is a bad winter and yes. we talked about this in these yes. seminars but we're, we're already seeing adult losses yep. but go over just down to the cache like we talked about literally 30 40 miles as the crow flies from some of these deer that they're studying it was a 10.44 percent going so into this winter this winter which is horrible. Yeah, it's horrible and so why we might see uh bad die-off in parts of northern utah that led to that's some of the reason utah decided to feed yep. um so early when they did was just when they're looking at these fat these fat numbers are so important and it's very interesting to me to like look and see how this is all shaken out yep it's just it's just there's so much out there people to learn and, and it's so interesting and i promise it'll make you a, a better hunter if you yes. jump into this stuff so anyways if we got any shining light this year because we are experiencing a hard winter travis and i both drove over from idaho today to, to western wyoming it is deep snow the snow is halfway up to three-fourths the way up on a on a standard uh, t-post um, lots of dead deer i saw off the yes. highway you know that's a small sample size still but you know compared to like the winter hills. of 14 when there was you know hardly any uh, a dead deer it's it's not going to be good but what we do have going for us is at least on some of these ranges with our cool spring last year and our our, our, our wet start to summer that, that those deer did put on good body fat and we have a lower deer population right now still related to the die off of 1617 because we've never sure. recovered and believe it or not that makes the whole deer herd more healthy Yep. Okay, that's the takeaway right there. Travis, before we jump into the next thing, which is the new film we got coming out called Breaking the Slump, um, I, I do want to talk a little bit about uh, the Utah feeding program simply because you've been volunteering your own time on this on this project. Yeah. Feeding mule deer in Cache County, Utah? Yeah. Right? So, so it's actually, I'm in Ridge, uh, in the Ridge County side. Ridge, feeding, okay. But uh, yeah, they're feeding in the Cache side too. Um, so a little background, I, I've been super involved. Uh, I was helping out um, in Utah on a, on a deer study that was done year, oh, it's been I think five years ago and I got to be really kind of close with some of these guys on uh so we were doing a fawn study and predation study um anyway so long story short I've just kind of been involved now I fed clear back in the 2016-7 actually I was feeding elk as a young man growing up on the foothills just above my um, dad's house with so a family the that one. volunteered. So I, I honestly have been involved with it since I was a really young kid um some close friends announcement some close friends of mine um their family fed the elk for the division like kind of as a division anyways that kind of in 2001 uh i think it was utah state or maybe it was 2001 2002 don't quote me on that but utah state university did a study on feeding and how it worked and that study's been quoted quite a few times and we were kind of giggling back in those days we were feeding corn in barrels putting it on um i mean trying to feed 100 deer out of four barrels hey come get a disease everybody it's just a horrible (laughs) way to go about it that kind of changed in 2006 i think we fed in i'm trying to remember we fed seven eight i believe i think it was seven eight and then in 16 17 utah kind of changed they were doing things that i had never heard of so we prepped feed sites out by long like plowing out roads and really spreading the deer out and used a specialized pellet um it's like an alfalfa pellet but I, there's some other i'm not 100 percent sure what it's all involved but it's different 
for mule deer specifically. So we did that in 1617. What's very kind of cool, Utah has done a really good job of collaring deer. They have a ton of deer collared. So in the cache, I think, don't quote me on these numbers, but it's around 60 deer are collared living on the cache unit. When you say the cache, is the cache unit or cache county? So it's the cache unit. So okay, that encompasses. Gotcha. That's like a zone. Nor, yes, a it's management a zone. zone yep, for it is. Yep. Gotcha. That incorporates like over to the Wyoming border, um, over to like Cache Valley, Logan, and then it goes down south to about um, like Hiram, and gotcha. then over in Rich County, that would be like Woodruff. Um, gotcha. And so, up to the Idaho border. Yes. Okay. And up to the Idaho border. So they have about about 60 collars on various fawns and does in that unit that uh, they, they're just doing uh, revolving studies. They're just always watching. That's where these fat numbers we quoted come right. from. Well, when we started feeding um, in, we first started in Rich County and then it moved over to Cash this year, County. In yes, December. In de- yep, in December of this gotcha. year. Yep. I had an idea, basically, my thought was, how good is this feeding working? And kind of we worked this idea through BYU and, the, and let's see, Utah Division of Wildlife Resources. Man, in like two days, we implemented this study. And basically what we're, we did was we come up with a way to capture. So we ended up darting um, 52 deer on these feed sites. Yep. So we're going to be able to. Just in December of 2022. Just uh, actually, we just darted them. That gotcha. just conducted just right like now. about. Today's March 10th. Yeah. So it would have been in February. We conducted this. We darted all these deer, collared them. We got all their weights and everything. So what that'll do is be able to, we'll be able to compare them to the other 60. We have 52 deer that are actively on feed sites. We're going to be able to compare them to the deer not on feed sites that are in that same unit and say, are we making a difference? We'll have some data. We will finally have some data to say this. Good feed data that's done with modern technology and it's the first study of its kind that i know of so it's right. very some cool these collar like i just want to stress like this collar information is bringing out some of the coolest data like we're learning all sorts of things it's changing the game as mule deer management yeah so and, and part of the reason part of this matters is because it's it's expensive to feed deer right? super how much expensive. have you guys spent you know i i don't know but it's i'm guessing it will probably be in the millions of dollars gotcha so we have to save a lot of deer to make that worth it because we could spend millions of dollars buying up habitat yes. to keep it from development as long as we can work something out with the states on, on, on taxes and everything because when um, you know a game and fish department buys a piece of habitat, that takes it out of the, out of the public tax system, so you, they, they, lose, they lose money on that. There's a lot of politics to it. But at least we've got some, we'll have some data now that will tell us does it help to feed these yes. deer? Because it's pretty controversial. I mean, you know, Super to most hunters, it's like, oh, yeah, feed them. But, you know, even with you guys feeding, how many are you feeding? A thousand? Say, yeah. In Rich County, roughly, I think we're a little over a thousand, yes. Gotcha. But that's a, that's a small percentage of the entire deer on the landscape, yes. right? You would agree yes. with that, right? So that's why we've got to be careful because maybe we help that thousand deer right there, but maybe the other four or five thousand that are, you know, adjacent, you know, 30 miles square, whatever, um, we're not helping. So I'm not against it at all. Yeah. I'm just saying these, these are what our critics say is that, well, it does, it's not, it's not a good use of money. Yep. So I, I'll, I'll be excited to hear when that data comes out. Would love to have you back on the podcast yes. when you know more about it. Um, now with no data, just empirically, you're going to the feed sites yes. daily, a couple days a week. Every what day. are you doing? So we're feeding you're there every day. day. Um, what are you seeing with your Travis Hobbs, 
big buck hunter eyes. So it's pretty amazing. So when you drive around in, uh, let's say, just in random Rich County, um, Bear Lake County, Idaho, up through Soda Springs, I mean, all They're the deer not feeding you're seeing, up there. yeah, all the deer you're seeing that aren't being fed just look horrible, man. It's like it's it's sad. I will honestly say on here, I believe that the winter has hit us harder there locally than it did in 1617. Um, for one thing, I do know for a fact it started. Early it started um, November. So much early. Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, sixteen didn't start until almost October. Uh, I think opening weekend of the deer season in Idaho, which would have been like, like October tenth, like that first few days, we had a nice. It was halfway through the season, the weather turned, and I don't think it's ever. I'll bet it's never I really let have up. snow in my yard since yeah. then. Yeah, October 21st when it, on my calendar is when it started snowing. Yep. We've never had a significant break. So it's been a very long winter. Here we are sitting today is March 10th. We're sitting here and listening to snow beat on the, I mean, yeah, it's, it is. it's, it's a beating on the building outside. right now. You can hear <laughs> yeah. it. But, so but what long. are you seeing, though? So, what, just what empirically. Seeing, it's the deer that aren't being fed look horrible we're finding them dead all over they're laying under trees it's bad but what we are seeing at the feed sites very low mortality numbers so that's not how you said it today you said they come running oh yeah they're full of energy they look happy yeah they come bounding (laughs) off the hills running for miles they spread out through the habitat when we're not feeding and as soon as we pull up to feed them they come running in the fawns are running through the snow i mean and we're talking snow uh, up to their briskets for sure right. deeper um, but they've got energy yes, they're not they're, just curled up in a ball under a juniper 100%. like a lot of these ones now our critics will say hey that's the problem is you're disrupting their natural pattern of sure. distur- dispersing into the habitat i agree but we've beat the heck out of their habitat. Yes. You know, some of it's overgrazed, some of it's developed. I mean, highways, I mean, yeah, they just road, can't get a break. Yeah, road issues. Um, yeah, we've moved into their winter range, and I feel like it's going to be very interesting to see the results of this. But anecdotal, like just what I'm seeing on the ground, very, very low mortality. And there will always be mortality. That's the other thing I want to talk about is like the f- size of fawns. Yeah. I mean, th- these little 50-pound fawns that are coming into winter, they're going to die yeah, on a normal they're gonna year. Die, yeah. They're going to die. Yeah. But one thing we did see is, like, some fawn weights that were just super high. I mean, 80-pound fawns at these feeds. That you guys actually doing, weighed them. Yes. That you we darted them. them and weighed them. Yes, yep. and doing very well. Yep. So it's very interesting. Um, it's going to be very interesting but to see how But what you're that. saying is you weighed them twice. Yes. Right? So You've well, already weighed them twice. We, so one in one animal in particular okay. small sample got, size yes but, very small but, talk so, about it. but we did we did get a recapture so a deer one of those random 62 deer that i talked about earlier yeah. that are uh-huh. collared on the unit we actually were able to dart a fawn that was coming in it was a little buck fawn he was coming into one of the feed sites he weighed the same he so he was 80 pounds in december when he was captured yep when we recaptured him, we darted him, recaptured him. He still weighed eighty pounds, so we're maintaining. And he'd been coming to the feed site the in, whole time. In probably the worst affected winter range area. Yes, yeah, he's maintaining weight, which so, is incredible. Which is very. That's gotcha. a good. Uh, that's that's a good sign. Gotcha. Now, now, you know, you're not sneaking the passcode to these 
radio callers now, are you? <laughs> hey, come on, dude. <laughs> You've been thinking about it. Don't lie to me. So anyways, well, that's cool. Well, I, and one other thing our critics will say is when you concentrate deer, you concentrate disease. And CWD is a big concern now in the West. That's something that we have to think about when yes. we see deer. And you said that they're, they're trying to mitigate that now. You said it tongue-in-cheek a minute ago. You were feeding deer corn in barrels before. Yes. But what you were saying is that that was a bad way to do it. That yeah, so brought now, all the deer together. We've, we've really revamped. So the difference from when we were feeding in 2001, 2002 on the Utah State study to what we're doing right now is a night and day difference. There's yeah. no barrels. You're spreading we're, them out. We're spreading. So we're actually going in and mechanically. We do, The best case scenario is try to mechanically remove snow. So like find an abandoned road on a, a piece of property in winter range that we can plow out to put feed directly on the ground in a long, narrow feed row to really spread out deer competition issue is a giant thing with mule deer when you're feeding mule deer most livestock guys um you can kind of watch like horses there's always a hierarchy yep, and totally they, you yep. know they come in and somebody's yep. but in mule deer it's unbelievable you'll get one doe even fawns i've, I've watched this that'll guard a 10 foot spot of feed from other fawns their yes size, they're just they're super aggressive yeah so spreading so this out trying to equally distribute that food is very very important and that's one thing like that we're learning as we're doing this it's so important to, and the other way we've done it is snowmobiles really pack down a long, super long trail and just really spread these pellets out across gotcha. the ground in a very. Well, um, you know, this stuff is great to talk about, and I'm guilty of it too. And then a year or two later, I kind of forget about it. Sure. I forget to follow up on it. Man, just let us know what, yeah. what you find on that data. And, and, it, and with that, with 50 deer that are radio collared, you'll be able to follow those for the next couple of yeah, years. Yeah, and that's what's hopefully and be able to the, see what their survivability for sure. is. Yeah, and that's hopefully the idea is that so these deer will all be recaptured. So you'll have the random 62 and then the 52 that were hit in the feed sites. They'll all be recaptured. Um, I, I'm not 100% sure when they're going to do that because of the weather but usually it's done in march i don't know if that'll be delayed a little bit but they will re try to recapture all of them i don't know if they'll get all of them but they're going to try to recapture all of them and then hopefully we have a good sample size to kind of compare back yeah. and forth dude bring, bring that stuff back yes. to us and if you end up with any of those passcodes from the <laughs> division of wildlife man don't forget about There's your a couple buddy, bucks dude. that i want to see that the wyoming's <laughs> got uh colored that one in particular out there in that booth that's he's pretty good Oh, dude, I remember way back in the day in the 80s, just with the VHR collars that uh, they collared some, uh, a few bucks um, east of Idaho Falls. There actually has been collared buck studies for years. There's yes. just has never been a significant number of them. But they actually collared some, some, some I thought, yearlings, I think they were. And um, one of those bucks became really big. And uh, the collar had quit working, but they had followed him enough to kind of knew, knew, knew where he was. And uh, I won't say the guy's name, but uh, yeah, he was a researcher. And he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know right where he lives. And I was like, how much is it going to cost me? And he wouldn't tell me, man. He says, no, that's against our code of ethics. I said, I won't shoot him. I just want to go look at him. So anyways, um, well, hey, uh, uh, great on, on that stuff, Travis. Thanks for helping Mule Deer, yeah, getting, sure. getting out there and, and donating your time to do this. You've been doing this now for, what, 60 days? Oh, Has yeah. Yeah, long? we've been, yeah, since uh, the end of January. And, dude, it's pretty cool to see some of the volunteers. Um to come out man it's pretty amazing to see some of these guys give up their time and it's cool. how many it's volunteers awesome. like 50 or 100 um or? i would say they're probably around 25 guys gotcha. that are you pretty know small out number of guys these 
feed sites. And I mean, it's every day. I mean, it's a yeah, it's lot every day, of work. Dude. It's just like feeding livestock, yes, man. It's a I had to lot go this morning and feed yep. my horses a lot of work. before I drove over here. Yeah, know? and I mean, and then plowing out these sites, um, you know, there's various cities, um, like, you know, d- different contractors that are giving up so much time yeah. and machinery and Heavy like equipment. spending a lot Diesel. so it, it's not cheap it's definitely not cheap feeding deer and hopefully that's the whole thing with this is hopefully there is some sort of a return and hopefully we get some interesting numbers well, thanks to you and thanks to those 25 yeah. guys from all of us so uh anyways that's kind of our recap on the mule deer days here in sweetwater county wyoming at the sweetwater events center uh mule deer days make sure you guys go follow their instagram page it's uh just follow monteith shop um or Muley Fanatic Foundation, and uh, uh, give them what they need. Give them the support. If you can get out, if, if you're uh, local, you should be coming to this every year. If you're not local, uh, see if you can get out here and support these guys. It's, it's worth your trip. Uh, okay, Travis, uh, one other thing I wanted to talk to you about. I have been working on a film since you and I got back from our hunt in November. And um, uh, for those of you that don't really know Travis, if you read my second book, uh, it's called Hunting Big Mule Deer, The Stories. There, uh, uh, Travis submitted a chapter in there about his incredible 2017 season when he, t- when he took an eight-year-old buck that had been affectionately titled Scar. Uh, how wide was that buck? Uh, I think it was 33. 33, and remember. he had been bigger. I yeah, mean, he, I he mean, regressed like 20 yeah, inches. And I think, here. yeah, 33, like, inside. Like, yeah. Just an incredible deer. Yeah. But even more incredible that same year. This was incredible to me. Travis killed a 220 buck that year with his bow, and we lab aged it. And I know I didn't get the samples mixed up. I've, I've been lab aging deer for 20 years. I sent them to Matson's. How old was that deer? Three Travis? and a half years old. Three and a half years old. Talk about fat bot. I'd love to see his mama. Uh-oh. He probably had to grease her hips to get her in an elevator. Yes. I mean, that, that is incredible. 220 and, and three and a half. Yeah, 226 at three and a half years old had like a two... I think it was like a 210 inch frame. Um, so it wasn't just like it was all just junk, but he right. literally put a 210 inch frame. Like, in fact, I think it might even have been a little more than that. And I'm, I'm trying to remember just off the cusp here. But what's incredible. incredible is that that was after the 2016 17 winter. And one of the biggest, like, I have had, I don't know how many messages on Instagram and phone calls and just people saying, what should I do this year? This How year, bad is it? Right. Should I apply? Should I yeah. not apply? Um, There's always some that make it through. I, I, I've told it's still too early to tell, but it's like, yeah, there's always some that make it through and what are you, you're never going to kill them from the couch, yeah, but I get, it's hard. Like I, I've had specifically a lot of messages about guys saying, Hey, I got this many Wyoming points. Is it worth me spend pointing them? It, burning them or do I hold on to them? If they're a non-resident like, dude and they go 90, 10 in Wyoming, they can, they'll have those points the forever. rest of their life. They may not, they may never get a go. You know, when we're sitting here, so, and that was one of the big reasons when Robbie brought this up coming out here to this and, you know, and sitting here talking to these guys and then hearing them give us data about these fat does that are here maybe it won't be as bad as i think you know you never know it's hard to say and the next month's going to decide a lot but one thing i will say there will be bucks that'll make it through there's prime age bucks i would more worry this is just me and me and robbie talked about this and robbie you can elaborate on it but in 2016 or the spring of 17 was the brutal i mean honestly the worst winter besides this one that I can remember in my like yeah. recent lifetime. Um, I mean, I know there was right up there ones. was 92, 93. Yes. Um, 
but looking at that, so 18, I didn't think those following two seasons were that bad, Robbie. Did you? I mean, I, I they, knew there was I a... I noticed there was a lot of deer missing yes, from the landscape, but, but I was still, still finding, finding some mature bucks. And, dude, I killed my best buck in 2018 that I've killed 15 years. Yep. So but, they were around. But 2019 and 20, 20 was, was some I was of the worst. My it was un- to see what it went from in 2014, 15, 16, like what I was seeing on the landscape to that was an eye-opening experience for me. Yeah. Um, I heard a lot of the old timers. I wasn't really old enough to remember the 90s, the early 90s. I was just little tagging along with my dad. Um, but I hear... I remember those old timers that quit hunting yeah, after because that of because of how hard it was. Right, yep. And I, I always thought, man, that's so crazy. I can't imagine people, could. but then you see that on the landscape and that shift, oh, it's, it's bad. eye-opening. <laughs> so that's my whole thought is, is looking forward. What are you gonna do? Like, I think now it's not gonna get any better. Yes. Now. If we, ha- if this turns into be a, a, a big winner, winner, which it is, it's. I don't. It's not gonna be better for yeah, a few three years. or four years. It's gonna be rough. And Hang then on. look at, and I mean, look at what it's doing. I've been looking at some of the drought maps and like, oh, and it's... we're kind of focusing up on up north. But man, it is going to be epic. Like, it there's places helping. in the desert that's going to be epic. But even Cali, yes, it's gonna help. I mean, this is the thing: is is mule deer are cyclical because drought and precipitation is cyclical. Yes. And right now we're going back into a wet cycle, and in the long run, this is what fixes the habitat. Yes. So, anyways, we're getting we're getting back yeah. onto the on uh, onto that stuff, but but um, for. The end of our season, 2022, yes. last year, yep. since we left on our November hunt, I've been piecing together a film that covers three years. And I, re- and I the reason I was talking about my book, I wanted to introduce you to Travis, that he had an incredible chapter in there on his 2017 season. But if you read my last chapter, which is called The Slump, Travis is also in that chapter, too. I wrote it. And um, it, it was talking about just this incredible slump I have been in for punching a mule deer tag since 2020. Basically, 2019 was the last time I punched a tag. Now, I've had a year here and there where I didn't punch a tag on a big buck, but I have never had three years. And so that I wrote that, penned that chapter last January. It was after two years of not punching a tag, and I knew I was definitely in a slump <laughs> because I had missed a big buck with you, Travis, yep. on our November hunt of yes. 2020. That's when it started Yes, was when I missed that last big day. buck on the last day, dude. And you had killed an incredible buck the day before, which yep. um, – wasn't super wide, but he, he aged at nine and a half years old. Yeah, when we got him back, and he was a good buck, and he was an even better buck before yes. Travis shot him. He might even have had more antlers before he shot him, right? Yeah, I, mean, I, I think he was on his way out downhill. Yeah, like, but yeah, didn't you, and I, didn't I you might trim have shot one of his one. antlers yeah, off. I might have shot a cheater off. <laughs> I wasn't going to let that slide. Yeah, he blew a cheater completely off. He was up there for like four hours looking for it. He never yeah. found it. When you hit him with a three hundred ultra, <laughs> you're not going to find the cheater. So, anyways. Travis kills a good buck. I'm hunting in a totally different part of the unit. And um, we meet back at camp last night. You know, we, we have a little celebration. And uh, Travis is like, dude, you really need to go back in there where I was. He says, I killed one deer. He says, there was multiple uh, big good buck tracks, tracks in yep. there. He says, I, you know, I tracked this buck. He says, unless you got a better lead, you should go in there. I said, I'll go. Just, just, just take me there. So the next day was the last day. Travis had to tear camp down. And so I was great with me to go deer hunting while he's wrestling with those big frozen <laughs> wall tents. And uh, so I had him drop me off on the top of the mountain and then i was just going to hike off the mountain and then hit him with the inreach at the bottom of the mountain you know later that afternoon and you know, i was 
made sure I took a nap on the way down and everything because I did not <laughs> want to come back and help him tear camp down. So anyways, Travis was right. I had steel hunted for an hour and I got right into a whole herd of deer and, um, uh, spotted one of them laying down, ended up being like a 26, 27 inch buck, not a giant, but a great buck for the last day. And, um, um, for those of you that have, that, have, that have followed my films, this was all dec- documented in the film called Hunting Big Mule Deer with Robbie and Travis. Okay, so that's where the slump started for me. I missed this buck, Travis. It was it like 120 yeah, I yards? I mean, not quite broadside, but, you know, I had a good quartering two shot on him, and I just miffed it. I still don't know what happened. I didn't even touch him. I didn't wound him. I didn't anything. And you remember when you picked me up on that road down there. Yep, I, I was I pretty do. bummed. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, you were bummed. Yeah. The, the only bright spot was we got back to camp. Travis had it all loaded in the truck, and I just got in and drove <laughs> back to Idaho. So that's where the slump started for me. And then we rolled into 2021. And, Travis, you had found a big buck that summer, yes. too, in 2021, yep. right? Yep. And you could hunt him with archery uh, equipment, archery if I remember. Equipment. He's going to be an archery buck, yep. right? And you had a pretty close encounter with yeah, him? Yeah, super close. God, I should have, I mean, honestly, it was, it was well within range, and I just never got a shot. Gotcha. Yep. Gotcha. It was an ambush, wasn't yep. it? And he just, just never yep, gave just you a shot. To, yep, and I never got a shot. Well, I bring that up because I was telling Travis that, like, hey, dude, we, sh- we should do something this year. You know, let's go archery hunt. And he's like, no, no, I got my big private buck. You know, you can't come hunt him. You know, that, <laughs> like we all are to, on, on our own big mule deer. And so, anyways, I figured, well, Travis will be on that buck all fall. And um, I invited him to come on. Uh, well, let me back up a little bit. And then on my archery hunt, everybody yeah. knows this. I've done, talked about it on podcasts. And I talked about it in that chapter. I wounded a really big archery buck, a buck that went well into the 190s. Um, got him on film. Um, I'll have him in this film. People can finally get a look at him, but I've talked about him before. And um, I miffed it. Shot him at like 35 yards. I hit him high. No man's land is the, is the best intel yeah. I can gather. And um, tracked him for four days. You remember I was calling you from the yep, mountain up sure. there you were trying to keep me from committing suicide and um uh, i finally just decided you know he either got so wounded and ran to a different mountain range or you know there are just no birds in this unit because i could not find birds i could not find anything so i went home and licked my wounds for three weeks and i invited travis to come he's like no i'm hunting this other buck and you know i can't really come and so um i thought well i'll go back up there there were some other bucks around i don't think i'll ever see this buck again and i think it opened on a sunday and thursday night travis calls me and says hey man i can go and I don't know what had changed. Yeah, I, I think tied your wife so I think I was going to take. I think I was going to take my wife. We were going to try to get her on this buck, and for some reason, I think she had a work commitment or something she couldn't go to. And I'm like, you know what, Robbie? I think I have. I think I told you I could come for three days. I said, do you think it's worth it? Gotcha. I think that's all I, I think, could do. Yeah, I think I it remember. was three or four days is all I could do. I'm like, you think it's worth it? And you're like, and anyways, we decided to pull the trigger on it. Let's go. Yep, Let's roll. We did. So so Travis Travis got all his gear in the truck. He met me 36 hours later at the trailhead, and uh, we packed in. You know, it's a, it's a big it's a big haul oh, into this man. place. You know, eight eight hours by the time you get the horses packed up and everything. And uh, we get in. Uh, don't have much time to set up camp. Um, you know, didn't get really get out to scout that night. And a big storm was. And we rode in in the rain and yep, snow, I remember. Sure. And um, so what my plan was to get back up on top because there's, there's one ridge you can hunt. It takes you about an hour to hunt. But if you hunt that ridge right, you can see off into one to at least three Incredible great basins. Vantage awesome. Great vantage points. Yes. I did get you up there the next yes. day. Well, we get up opening morning completely fogged in. And... Um, uh, I, so I told Travis, look, there's a place out of camp here, like 500 yards. I said, but let's take the horses because if we get over there and we decide to hunt further down the mountain, can't get out of the fog, we'll need the horses. So we jumped on the horses and headed, headed over there. We get there just as it's cracking light. And, um, 
if you remember, dude, I kind of spaced off and I rode out in the open. And then you saw me turn my horse really fast. Yeah. It's because I didn't realize I was right on the rim of the canyon. And I, all of a sudden, I'm looking right into yeah, the right canyon. There. And so I turned the horse and just kind of headed for a tree. Well, Travis rode out on this little ledge. You know, he didn't, he didn't, he'd never been there before. And he spots a deer right across the canyon. Yeah, it's about 800, 900 yards, something yeah, like that. Yeah, sees it with his naked eye, you know, and blind me. I you know. see a buck. And I'm like, sees I a buck, knew, right? know it's a buck, yep. So I'm over there tying up the horse, and I hear Travis going, big buck, big buck. And so I ran back and got his mule because, you know, in the in the stock world, you don't just jump off your, your horses and, you know, go deer hunting. you got to take care of them. So I'm tying him up, and um, Travis is back there fiddling with the spot scope, and, you know, and he's giving me big thumbs up and everything. So I'm like, man, what is he seeing? <laughs> so I run over there, and I squat down, and I look in the scope, and it's that buck that I wounded. Yeah, you, you couldn't believe it at first. I mean, you were thinking, I think, I was like, and I would, I didn't even, that didn't even hit me. And I think you said, I can't remember, but I think you said, is that him? And like, and you couldn't believe it for a minute. And then, yeah, it's him. Yep. That's exactly how it happened. Travis was just like, Hey dude, big buck. And then when I looked at it, I just, you know, this buck was non-typical. I just immediately could tell it's him. It is him. So I said, Travis, that's that buck. He's like, are you kidding me? And I'm like, no dude, it is him. It is him. I guarantee you it's him. Well, he's like eight or 900 yards away and he's just feeding out on a little kind of a knife ridge. And, um, uh, we, we make a plan, and we decide, we, we figured out the closest we could get to that buck was about 700 yards. I think that sounds right. Unless yeah. we cross the basin, which there was all kinds of problems yeah. with crossing the basin. You'd have to go across a boulder field in the wide open. Or we'd have had to drop down the mountain so far and cut, try to come yep. back up and under blow him. And it never works to hunt deer from below him. And fog's rolling in. Fog's snowing. rolling in. So, Travis, yeah, in you know, out. give him the quick version of what happened. Oh, by the way, Travis is like, dude. You got a history with this buck. Do you want to shoot him? I'm like, spotter goes first, dude. Seriously, I am just so happy that this buck is alive. I don't care who kills him. I just want to be there for the autopsy and figure out what happened with this arrow. And by the way, this buck's healthy. I'm watching this buck. There's no problems yeah. at all. Yep. And uh, so, Travis, take it from there. Yeah, so I think we were going to set up um, right from where we where, where I glassed him from. And some time elapsed. And anyway, he, he was kind of feeding up, oh. going up. Well, Robbie kind of found, if we dove off the mountain a little bit, I think we got down, I swear we were in like the 650. Yeah, right in there where if we stayed on top, it yeah, was, it was in like the 8s. Yeah, or something. something. Like. We anyways, cut 150 yeah. yards off. Yeah, I'm trying yeah. to remember. But anyways, yeah, we did cut some off. We get down there, and man, we sat there for... Two hours. Yeah. Two, I was freezing my It was off. brutal. Yep. What was because interesting is the deer would come into vision... We could see him, and then a fog bank would come yep. come in. Couldn't see, and it's like any hunter that's been in those foggy situations knows, like it, it, it'll come and go, and you'll get a glimpse. And I mean, there was one point I think we could see, like I, I even could think have I told you, I said I got, I think I got a yep. shot, and then it, the fog, and then for a while he disappeared. Robbie spotted him again. Anyways, it all come out. Finally got a shot at him. Well, I made a critical error. Um, I think looking back what happened, I mean, I'm very confident and I'm very confident in my gun at that range. I mean, super confident. But where we were sitting, we had worked off the ridge far enough and there was literally very little wind. Where we right, were. yeah, where we were sitting, it was there was calm. hardly any wind. We were down in the timber. And I didn't even, and this is what happens with big bucks and this is the hardest part about hunting and this is why it's very important to know your stuff and to really pay attention to conditions. And this is just a classic example of screwing up. Um, 
looking up there, as I looked back at it, the fog was rolling past that deer at a very high rate. Like it was coming off the top. The fog was rolling by. Well, I think anyways, I start shooting. I think I get two shots. Robbie can't ever see, could never see a hit. Could not see a vapor trail. I was no, and he was kind of standing up. Well, when a deer stands there and you're missing him and he just stands there more Nine times out of ten for me, you're shooting high. Yep, and I over. think I ended up bringing my gun down. Yep. And I think Robbie saw, so I aimed I lower and saw one hit. Right like at his feet. Out, yep, right at, at his, his feet, feet. Dude. So basically, I'm guessing I was probably just, the wind was probably blowing me. Um, it was just a little more than I thought. I, I, I don't know. We don't we ended know. Up, we never could find the other bullets. Yep, we never could we find We found them. the one. Yep. We never found the So, others. and who knows what happened exactly. We shot my gun after, like, verifying, you know, like you always do. Like, oh, my fine. gun's got to be off. And it was, it I think was I shot fine. it at 900 yards <laughs> yeah, you and did. hit you a rock that was, yeah. like, seven yes, inches. totally. And one mil, and it. you nailed it. Yeah, so uh, it was just one of those situations. Anyways, I sometimes wonder if sometimes things don't work out. Um I don't know, like, looking back, just a crazy thing that I would have bet any other time that deer would have been dead. Like, I should have, like, should have killed him. It was like he had nine lives, and sometimes you wonder if things don't happen for a reason. But the buck got away. Yeah, um, we went over and tracked him. Yep. Like, we didn't just say, okay, bye-bye. Oh, yeah. We went over there. We found the bullet. Yes. We found Made where Travis, sure we didn't Travis did. have a miss, you know, or we had a miss for sure. No blood. We ended up tracking him for quite a while in the snow. An down hour and a half, ridge. at yep. least. And then we, we got, got we all, we got to his bed. Yes. Got to, I think, two Remember beds. That? Two different beds we got to. Yep. But he just got down out of the snow. And by the way, there was snow, but we're talking slushy. Yeah. Two inches of snow. And as soon as you drop 300 feet down the mountain, there's no snow. Yep. And he got in with a bunch of deer like they yep. always do so that deer was gone so that that there's strike three for me right there like goodness gracious way travis misses him i wound him yep. it was just a bummer and then um that was my last tag of the year last year no no, no i had one more tag scotty thompson i yep. went with him yeah yep. and we got into multiple big bucks i just never got a shot it was just that that's what i mean it was like a slump it was just like i could well, not everything that could get go wrong. things yeah. to come together yeah. you know just there's a 190 get up there stay all day and you can't find him again yep. i mean just that happened like two or three times with me and scott oh, one buck that might have been 190 the other one was like a really nice 27 28 inch buck so so 2021 closes for me um no punch tag I roll into 2022, working my butt off, scouting my butt off. But, dude, I kind of made a mistake. And when I said I'm scraping together a film, I got so burnt out from hunting big mule deer, I kind of quit filming everything. Because a lot of times I'm filming my hunts, getting little pieces of them and everything, just in case something comes together. Dude, I was, like, so lazy this summer. I didn't, I didn't do much filming. You know, I found a, a few good bucks yeah. and everything. Um, found a really good buck during archery season. You know what happened yes. on that buck, and I'm going to re- reveal it during the podcast because it's part of the slump too. And um, I've sh- I think I've showed you that buck before, big, wide, yes. heavy, non-typical. Yep. Um, so, um, but the slump continued through archery season. The slump continued through rifle season for yes. me. My very last hunt was with Travis himself. Um, we had a November hunt, and that's the hunt Travis just talked about. He killed the 30-incher on, and then Travis had to go home. He had one more day he could stay. And he says, man, I'm going to help you out. He says, you go low, uh, I'll go low, you go high. So I took my horse, I went up to the top of the mountain, and he went low. And the film will tell you what happened that day. Because it was a pretty incredible day. Yeah. It really was a pretty incredible day. But when I got home, 
and I started going back through my cameras. Gosh, dude, I didn't have much. And, you know, because I had to go back. When when you're in a slump for three years, you don't even know what you have. It took me 30 days to just go through all the film clips and kind of figure out what what I've had. And then I've been working with Jordan. She's, yep. It's going to be a professional edit because awesome. um, she does a great job on it. Yep. But, yeah, some of it's, you know, vertical shots with the phone, you know, because yeah. I was just not doing a good job filming, you know. Um, uh, but I got it together. It just went to Jordan last week. She's working on the sound right now. So what happened? I'm not going to tell you because I want people to watch the film. And you know exactly what happened. You were there, buddy. You were there. And um, uh, and plus, it took like a month to get the, the, the film clips off of Travis's phone, too, because he filmed part of this as well. Yeah. But it's called Breaking the Slump. It will be out on the Rock Slide channel. Hopefully, we can have it out in March. It's March 10th right now. Cool. I'm, I'm hoping for a March release date. If not, it'll be early April. Just follow my Instagram page or follow Rock Slide. Um, uh, I'll have, I'll have a, a, a post on Rock Slide about it, a thread on Rock Slide about it. Um, it's it's going to be about a 30-minute film. follows me for three years through the slump. It's called Breaking the Slump. My friend Travis Hobbs is in it twice, and uh, it's going to be a good time. But I do think one thing to take away from everything, man, mule deer hunting, especially hunting big bucks, it's not easy. It's not. And I think a lot of people sit and th- like look at a highlight reel on Instagram that people post and they see all these big bucks. It is super tough, especially when you're trying to kill like the most mature, the biggest bucks. Yep. And sure, Robbie could have, and Robbie talks about the slump. He could have killed, I don't even know how many bucks. Oh, multiple so, 170s. Know, he had you like know? nice bucks. But yep. when you're hunting big bucks, it is yep. so hard and it's so difficult. And it really is like when you kind of dive down that, you're kind of signing yourself up for a kick in the pan. Like it's just, it's a kick in the teeth every year. Yep. So it's 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 tough, and lots of just things don't work out, and you just got to make yourself better. And so you never know how those opportunities are going to work out. So I think it's super important. But what's cool, Robbie, is he stuck with it. Just keep hammering it out, and man. Dude, that at the end of that film, I can't. It, it just people have to watch it. They're just the joy and the relief yes. of being able to break a slump. Because you do, you start kind of kind of start doubting yourself. Yep. Kind of, kind of thinking. Second hey, man, guess, but, man, what am I? Yeah, yeah like man, if I, I lost my touch, not that I ever ever had a touch, but like you know, you were yeah. talking about this. You've gone through this before. Yeah. It's just like everything goes right for a long, long time. Yes, and you can't and screw sudden, up. I've yeah. been there, man. I've been there. I've been on like rolls with deer. Like, dude, I think I I shot oh I at least I think ten, eleven deer, and I never missed one in between. Yep. Like I had a just a heck of a roll. Archery equipment, rifle, like everything went right. Finding all these great bucks. And then, you know, stuff goes wrong and it just, it's, it's weird. Yeah. And, 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 and that's why I kind of wanted to put this together for everybody to just let you know, you're going to go through a slump. Yes. If you're hunting big mule deer, you're going to go through a slump. 100%. Travis and I have talked about this multiple times and it's just, I think it's probably what draws us to it. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. If it was super easy, I, I, yeah, it wouldn't be near as interesting. Yeah, that's why I don't hunt elk anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, but. But anyways, that's what it's all about, and I'm glad you're in the film. I think people are going to enjoy it. Um, I did study some uh, kind of high-level athletes um, over the last couple of years because, you know, you, that's that's where that term comes from is yeah. athletics. And I know people that have gone through slumps. Um, I, I talked about it on the podcast a few weeks ago how Tiger Woods completely changed his swing, and this was even before his car accident. And it was – I don't know how to explain it because I'm not a golfer. But um, 
if if I wouldn't have broken the slump, I might have become a golfer because I was really thinking about that, dude. Because you, you start to hate mule deer hunting, but um, he it would be the equivalent of switching from a left hand shooter to a right hand shooter. I mean, he did something yeah, like that. Something I mean, crazy. he didn't switch from yeah. right to left, but but you know, just just things that high level athletes have had to do to stay on their game. And not that I'm a high level athlete, but it's it's the same thing. Is it's like you just pour your life into this yes. stuff, and it's just it's just it's not everything you live for, but it's but one it's of the a, things yes. you live for. And, and man, when you just keep getting handed a bag of crap, you're yeah. like, should I, should I quit? And I'm just telling you people don't quit. Come watch the film. Um, you'll get to uh, see Travis and I hunting together and, uh, Scotty Thompson's in it as well. Um, it's, it's a three year journey, breaking the slump, be out on YouTube soon. It's awesome. Thanks Travis. Yep. Thanks, thanks for coming you. on the podcast. And by the way, everybody, uh, if you like this podcast, I don't care if you give us a five-star review, but you should thank Travis because I didn't want to do a podcast. Yeah, so, and Rob, we should talk about this, Robbie. Go ahead. Like, I think it's super cool. I've been telling Robbie forever. Like, one of the funny things is, is I've, I've been on a few number of podcasts, and I've, I've t- talked, been with Robbie. And the funny thing is, is everybody, no matter who I talk to, all these podcast hosts, I love to talk bringing up Robbie Denning because everybody loves listening to Robbie Denning on these podcasts. I don't know why. And but... he does such a good job. He's so articulate. He does a great job. Job. And it's awesome that I get to sit here uh, on his own podcast, and he's going to be doing this on a regular basis, talking mule deer. So make sure I, I it's very cool. I Robbie's got some ideas for some fantastic guests. He's been talking with some of these guys. There's going to be some cool stuff coming out. I'm super excited to follow along, Robbie, and it's awesome, man. Well, I'm glad you. you. I'm glad you decided to pull the trigger and do it, man. So well, I had to, dude, because every time I talk to you, like, when are you going to start a podcast, <laughs> dude? I mean, come on. So, anyways, if you're just tuning into the Rockcast. Yes, I, it, Rockcast will actually be co-hosted. Ryan Avery is going to be on the podcast as well. Um, uh, it looks like a, a few of our other uh, Rockside staff will be on there. Justin crossy has got some content. He's going to be on there. So, um, But any of the podcasts that are labeled HBMD in the title, that means hunting big mule deer, that'll be a mule deer specific awesome. podcast by me. So. Yeah, you know you won't be talking about elk. Cause no, dude. <laughs> dude the, the, only, the only thing I want to talk about elk. Or Maybe that cow dead. elk you killed last year. I didn't know. There's a rumor floating around that I shot a cow elk, dude. I don't know where. Where that came from. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Travis. Yep. See you, buddy.